Welcome to the Ad Nauseam Podcast, where classical gourmands everywhere can finally get their fill. Join us for a delectable discussion of Greco-Roman civilization stretching from the Minoans and Mycenaeans through the Renaissance and right down to the present. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here are your hosts, Dr. David Noe and Dr. Jeff Winkle. Welcome, Ad Nauseam listeners, to episode 60 of our podcast. My name is Dr. David C. Noe, and I'm here in the vomitorium with Dr. Jeffrey T. Winkle. How are you, Jeff? I'm doing great today. How are you feeling, Dave? Pretty well, thanks. Pretty, pretty well? Yep. This drizzly weather hasn't kind of, you haven't, you feel some kind of cold coming on or anything no, like that? No, no, no. I was uh, I was down a little bit with something, but I think I've cleared it out. How about you? you so you're in a good mood tonight? I wouldn't say that. Okay. All right. Okay. Just... Just wanted to know. Remember, I put the I in irascible. That's, yes, you do. Yes, you do. But you came in with a smile on your face, and so I was, I was hopeful. Yeah, as we approached the doors of the vomitorium, there was a little bit of pantomime going on between us. There was. Remember that? I did. I was thinking maybe we should just do the whole podcast that way. In pantomime? Yes. Oh, man, that would be that would be radical. It would be some of the best material the <laughs> audience has ever heard. That's right. That's right. Excellent. So, Dave, you got our shout out today. I, I do. Yes. And we're, we're going international. All right. Both this week and next. Oh, it's very exciting. Yes. Yeah, so this goes to Yap Jacobs, and uh, I hope I'm pronouncing his name correctly, J-A-A-P, Yap. And uh, he says, I took an extra long walk yesterday to listen to the hilarious Mottos Galore episode. Now, Yap capitalized Mottos Galore. Yes. Which it seems to me he's trying to suggest a title for the episode. Oh. And I was about to write back an angry letter saying, it's not mottos galore. It's what's a motto with you. Right. So you, you think he was trying to... I do. Okay. He's All trying right. to, you know, take over some of the territory. But then I thought, he's the audience, right? The mm-hmm. audience is always right. right. So I should just let Let's him give know. him the benefit okay. of the doubt. Yep. He says, uh, I am a historian of early American history and early modern Dutch colonial expansion. That's Mm. pretty specific. With a research focus on 17th century New Netherlands, i.e. New York, when it was Dutch. Even old New York was once New Amsterdam. Yeah, why they changed it, I can't can't say. I think people just like it better that way. That's right. He says, I am now affiliated with the University of St. Andrews, recently crowned the premier UK university by a UK national newspaper now. It's number one? (laughs) Yeah, but it was crowned that by a UK national newspaper. Could it be a little bit of um, inside cricket, maybe? It sounds like it. Yeah, Yeah, I would say so. All right. After his PhD at Leiden, I have taught at several universities in the Netherlands, United States, and the UK. And he enjoys listening to the podcast. Well, that's the most important thing. Well, that's, we're just so grateful. He's out there in Scotland, right? Yeah. Are you going to drop a Scottish accent on us? I'm not going to. I'm not going to try. No, no, but I know he takes long walks around Firths. And Firths? Yes. Right. You know they got Firths they, out there in the, Scotland. The Firths of the uh, Firths of Fourth. There's the Firth of Fourth. Yeah. Uh, which in Latin, let me tell you, is Bodotria. Bodotria. B o d o t r i a. That's the name for the Firth of that's Fourth. That's the Latin name for the Firth of Fourth. Okay. Now, don't you want to know how I know that? How do you know that? Because when I was teaching Latin in graduate school, we taught from a book called uh, Latin for Schools, I think, by L. A. Wilding. Mm-hmm. It's a nice blue covered series, um, written by or published by Duckworth. And it has all of the place names for Roman Britain. Oh, that's including great. Including Bodotria. Bodotria, the Firth of Fourth. That's right. right, right. I, I spent some time in Edinburgh. And? Is great. that your accent? Yeah, that's all you're going to get. <laughs> it was great. I so loved was it, it. Was it the haggis or the rain that appealed? It was, you know, when I was there, it was kind of dark and stormy. But yeah, that's because it's Scotland. I stood on top of Scotland. this mountain or this little hill called Arthur's Seat and looked yes. over the Firth of Fourth. It was very romantic. Right next to Arthur's footstool. <laughs> that's right. Exactly right. So I, I put my feet up and... Romantic? I, yeah. Were you there with Mrs. Winkle? No, I, I mean romantic in... 
not a in a in a broader sense in a platonic sense in an epic sense okay yes it was great so last time i was in edinburgh thanks for asking was oh. uh january of uh, 2018 oh touring with my son we saw all the sites it's a lovely place did you go up did you go up to the castle i don't remember oh uh we did go to the harry potter emporium Oh, is that there? It's taken over most of Edinburgh Isn't now. that where J.K. Rowling she, did her thing, yes, right? Yes, she yeah. did. Yep. Wow. Excellent. Have we gotten off track here? Yeah, we have, got, we have gotten <laughs> off track in Scotland. All right. So what is uh, this? Well, we should say thank you, Yop. Yes. Uh, for listening loyally. Thanks for um, promoting. He's doing some promotion of the podcast on social media, I've noticed. Fantastic. Which, uh, is wonderful. Thanks for keeping the flame alive out there of liberal arts studies, things that are historically and literarily important. Excellent. Thanks, Yap. So today, Dave, we got, uh, it's what's kind of around Halloween time. Mm-hmm. And so we're getting uh, thematic, we're getting seasonal. Yes. And we're going to talk about uh, ancient ghosts and ancient ghost stories, Ooh, monsters. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. So this is going to drop on October 26th, right, I'm pretty so sure. Anticipation of, uh, of, uh, of Halloween. Mm-hmm. And you have our opening quote. Now, the the hardest part of this episode is going to be to decide where to place the spooky ghost noises. Mm-hmm. We can leave that to our intrepid engineer. Can we have Mishka do that? Yes. Yeah, she knows what she's doing. Okay. All right. You're going to give us the opening quote? Yes. This comes from a what I consider to be kind of the the book on this kind of stuff. All right. Um, it's a book called uh, Restless Dead. Restless Dead. Yes, by Sarah Eels Johnston, who uh, was, I believe, still is at Ohio State University. Okay. She, the Ohio State the, uh, yes, University. Yes, exactly. Big fan of her scholarship. Um, used it a lot in my own dissertation, and mm. she's a she's a wonderful personal personable person in person too. That's incredible. It's right. a lot of persons there. It is. So she writes in the prologue to this book: uh, "The dead are very much like us, driven by the same desires, fears, and angers, seeking the same sorts of rewards and requiring the same sort of care that we do. For this reason, the world of the dead is not only a source of both possible danger and possible help, but a mirror that reflects our own. The reflection is frequently a distorted one, to be sure." The dead are often credited with remarkable powers and thus manifest their desires, fears, and angers in ways that go beyond any available to us. But the distortion is not random. Through their excesses, the dead reveal, like fingerprint powder shaken over a table, where desires, fears, and angers are most acute among the living. Mm, that's a really nice quote. Isn't that nice? It's, it's nice prose. It's excellent prose. Yeah. It is punchy. It's descriptive. It's colorful. Mm-hmm. I think it really uh, is, is very nicely put together. We were just talking before we went on air about... You and I? Yes. Okay. We, about how academic writing sometimes is, or can very often be dense and turgid and not very fun. Snoozy. Uh, Professor Johnston is one of these that can uh, do it both. She knows how to turn a phrase. Yep. So well, what do you make of the quote, though? I'm not sure I understand precisely what she's saying. Is she saying that this is how the classical world saw the dead, or this is how she sees the dead? I think she, this is in a part of a larger passage where she's talking about uh, kind of the classical world's view of the dead. Okay. And this idea, I think she's expressing this idea that the dead in the, um, in the ancient imagination or superstition were never far uh, from the the living the living realm, mm. they're just there behind a very thin veil. Mm. Uh, so the kind of the separation between the land of the living, land of the dead, was a very was a very um, um, thin one. A fine, like a shower curtain, really. Yes, exactly. Not right. one of those heavy ones with loops on the top, but one of those kind that you'd get at the dollar store and, and throw away after a few months. Exactly right, okay. or, or the one you would see in uh, like Hitchcock's Psycho. Never seen it. You've never seen Psycho. Once again, Winkle, oh this gosh. podcast is not about my ignorance of pop culture. <laughs> that is not the theme. <laughs> All right. Okay. Let's move on. But I want to know here, yeah, yeah. Uh, the dead are very much like us, driven by the same desires, fears, and angers. Yes. So one of my desires is typically for good food. Mm-hmm. 
The, the dead are driven by that? Well, I think, I think I, I, if I can add something to what okay. she's saying, is I think they, the dead are conceived of often in the way that the gods are conceived of, that they're very much like humans, but their passions are, are kind of amplified versions of, of passions of, of regular people. So if I want the eight-piece bucket from KFC, mm-hmm. the dead want the 12? They want the 12. They want the whole family pack. That's how it goes. For themselves. Okay. Yeah, exactly right. So that, I think that's what she. I think that's what she's saying. So the, the dead are are very close to us, and part of the danger is uh, is that um, they're excessive in the things that in that the things that they do and that they want. Okay. Yeah. So we got to look out for them. Yes, we do. So what are we going to give the listener today, Doctor well, Winkle? We're going to talk. We're going to start out talking about um, kind of specific monsters uh, that pop up in what we might call more kind of ancient Greek and, and, and Roman folktale okay. rather than kind of proper mythology. Okay. And then on the so other... So the proper mythology, if I may, deals with things like the Olympians and their relationships. Yes, right. And I mean, and there are monstrous beings in mythology, but yes. we're talking about, we're going to talk about kind of monsters and ghosts of a different quality. Okay. Right? And on the other side of that, we're going to talk about uh, a couple of, honest to goodness, uh, ancient ghost stories. Ooh. Yes. Well, that's some story time. All right. Yeah. We'll read aloud around the campfire, gather oh, the around. Flashlight underneath our exactly chins. Right. Do kids do that these days? They should if they if they don't. They, probably they, they hold their phone. They hold their phones yeah. under their chin. Shine it up onto their face. Right. And then Instagram it. Yeah, exactly. Right. Mm. Immediately. Yeah. Right. Are we sounding like a couple of old cruddy daddies? I'm feeling I'm feeling a little crotchety, to <laughs> tell you the truth. <laughs> Irascibility is my bit. <laughs> That's right. It's 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 wearing off though. Okay. So who's first up today? Well, we're gonna talk about the uh the monster um uh, uh, kind of proto-vampire Mormo. Mormo. Right. So mm. Now, there's not a lot of stories that survive about Mormo. She shows up in kind of a fragment here and a fragment there. So it's a female? It, it's a female kind okay. of vampirus, uh, succubus, something like that, mm-hmm. who is, uh, as best as we can tell, was a was a kind of a monster that uh, parents told stories about to their children or, or the nurse made told to the children to try to scare them into staying in their beds. Yes. Yeah. Because you don't want kids getting out and running around and no. act, acting like children and having fun and playing games and right. st- staying up late. Right, right, right. So you would tell them Mormo's going to get you. Mormo's going to get you. In fact, one of the, the fragments that survives is that uh, parents would say to their children before they shut the door, those would, would they say, watch out, Mormo bites. Oh, that's terrible. Isn't that horrifying? That's, that's really awful. Right, all right. If I did that to my youngest child, oh, he, there's no way he's sleeping. No, no. No, no way. Spread... Uh, thumbtacks or something all over the floor. Right. Peanut butter to make sure <laughs> Mormo doesn't get in. Exactly right. Crazy. So this is not your marquee monster like Medusa, the Minotaur, some other chimera. No, I mean, those aren't going to really, those aren't are monsters that are going to scare kids. Like the Minotaur, there's one of them. Theseus took care of it. Right. They're not worried about the Minotaur hanging out in the closet. Mm-hmm. Right. So they belong to a different category, but these are kind of more folktale-ish hmm. ghost monsters, which can, they don't, there could be many of them hmm. and they can be in many places at once. And they can show up at any time. That's awful. That's terrifying. Okay. Right. So, what's the etymology of Mormo? Um, so the the uh, the root Mormo seems to mean something like the the fearful ones, the, okay. the, the the frightening ones. We don't really know where this comes from, just because there's not a lot of of, of, of text that survives uh, around it. There, it's all, sometimes it's combined with uh, kind of the root uh, the, the Greek word for wolf, Mormo, right. Mormoluke. Uh, so the fearful, terrible wolves creatures. Yes, kind of like a werewolf. Some right? kind of of, of lycanthrope. Yes. Um, something like that. But we don't know. Scholars think that the original Mormo was a was a woman of Corinth who... Uh, it figures. Well, isn't that fitting, though? Yeah, everything bad happens in Corinth. Right, right. There was you know, even that the Greek the Greek verb developed, uh, yes. korinthadzomai, yes. right, to act like a Corinthian, yep. right? Yeah. Um, and so that's very, that's very fitting. So in the stories differ. So in, in some versions, she she 
eats her children, Ooh. and then she flies. She kind of reveals herself to be some kind of winged monster. Mm. Um, and uh, in others, she's a, a, a mother that loses her children, and in her grief and in her rage, she kind of uh, she she takes out her vengeance on on other people's o- children, other people's children, other yeah. parents that still have their children. Oh, I see. So there's not a consistent legend uh, about her. Okay. Yeah. So she's sometimes associated with Hecate, uh, who has strong associations with the underworld and uh, notions of death in the in the underworld. Um, but she's hard to pin down. But um, I mean, this, I think this is, this is in many ways a familiar kind of legend. So, uh, Dave, you know that I'm very interested in, in things like urban legends. I know that you are. Yes. You like bridginess, yes. gefutus moss, bridginess, liminality, yes, it is. And a lot giant of, rabbits, things like that. Yeah, exactly. A lot of that comes into play into these same... And so we, you start to see, when you read the modern urban legends, you start to see how kind of everything old is, is new again. Mm-hmm. So there's, um, there's a famous Mexican legend of La Llorona, the, the weeping woman. Okay. Have you heard of that one? Nope. No, so this is... Was a, that a Hitchcock movie with a shower curtain? No, there was a really bad horror movie that came out called La Llorona a couple of years mm. ago on, on Netflix. Um, so I don't, I don't recommend it. But, right. Um, but it's, a, it's the weeping woman. And the idea is that this is a woman who has lost her children and she's now a liminal being. She's mm. kind of stuck between this world and the next. And in some version of the story, you know, she kills herself, but she's unable to cross over. And she becomes this, this terrifying, rage-filled, vengeance-filled uh, being who can show up at any moment. Mm. And so I think the Mormo legend clearly has, has overlaps with that same kind of idea. Is there going to be any candy corn in this episode? Very little. There's not going to be any bubble gum or those little heart mints that you, know, you put in your... Um pumpkin shaped candy bag those those little antacids yeah right? <laughs> is that what they are <laughs> i'm stealing somebody else's joke there okay um candy I, I, candy saying, corn is, is is it all gonna be real heavy and grim and eating children and blood and that kind of stuff it's or? not gonna get happy there's not okay. a lot of happy endings here uh, but an aside candy corn number one worst candy of all time <laughs> So there's no there's no caramel apples or any other kind of holiday no, treats in nothing, this episode. No 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 hay rides. Okay. No no uh, no bobbing for. All right, let's keep for, going. Okay, sorry. Let's sorry. keep going. All right. So um, I mean, there's not a whole lot else to say about Mormo because there's there's you know the stories don't survive. Um, Aristophanes refers to her a couple of times mm-hmm. in his plays, and he seems to kind of use it as she represents a kind of an apotropaic image, the kind of a Medusa head that you don't uh, that you don't look at, and so. Um, in his play Acarnians, his character Dicaeopolis, the, the the lead character, um, re, re, uh, responding to somebody else who's kind of dressed up in some kind of ridiculous yes. outfit. Okay. He, he says something, your terrifying armor makes me dizzy. I beg you, take away that mormo. Ah, so that's, I can't even, it's so horrible I can't even look at yeah, it. Yes, like a boogie monster. Can I read some of the Greek there? Oh, please do, yes. Because that's better than candy corn anyway. Right. Now, I'm not reading this uh, in the trochaic tetrameter or the iambic tetrameter, which is what I think it probably is, but mm-hmm. we'll give it a go. Dicaeopolis, sukoi de po. There's, there's the word mormona. Yeah, that's our mormona. Right, so you can see that the, you know, the translation there is it's pretty loose mm-hmm. uh, from what you read there. But yeah, uh, can't deal with your can't deal with your armor. So yes, take it away. Take away that mormo. That mormo. Right. Hmm. So you, th- ma- you think this word could be used in you know modern day uh, parlance? How how would you use it? I mean, uh, like, how was your day? It was such a mormo. It was such a mormo, right? Yeah, I like that. That traffic out there this week is just mormo. It's like something you just you can't. I, like it's like you know, I, I just can't. Yes, I can't right. deal with it. I just can't. Yeah, 
Hmm. I like it. Let's try to bring it back. Well, you know, I've done this with a lot of different words, and I've had no success. Really? Mm-hmm. What other words have you tried to kind of bring back? Into uh, well, not bring back, but oh. introduce in- yes. into the um, lexicon. Mm. Transliminate. Transliminate, yes, yes, yeah, yes. He transliminated the building. Yeah. It's just yeah. a fancy way of saying he came in. I like right? it. I like it, but that hasn't gotten any traction. Nobody's been right. using it. Right. No. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reference another movie that I'm pretty sure you haven't seen. <laughs> <laughs> have, you seen the, have you seen the movie Mean Girls? No. Okay. Well, there's a character in there who who tries to get uh, the term fetch happen like like that like instead of cool like oh that is so fetch that is so fetch. And one of her friends tells her at some point the movie says stop making stop trying to make fetch happen. Uh, it's not going to happen. Right? I kind of like that word. Though. I do. I thought it was yeah exactly right. Uh, anyway, um, who's so, ne- who's next up here? Well, if we're going to move on from more and more, we got more and more. Well, and more. I mean, there's another there's another Aristophanes quote there where he uses it. Uh, I think slightly different. He's um. Um, in his play uh, Peace, the mm-hmm. character Trugaeus uh, responds to another character. This is terrible. You're in the way sitting there. We have no use for your Mormo's head, friend. Ah, so it's this big misshapen kind of head. Right. So he seems to use it. On the one hand, it's like, I can't even look at it. And in right. this one, it's like, oh, so ugly. It's a monstrosity. It's a monstrosity. Mm-hmm. Right. I, so, get, I get that sometimes at movie theaters and you know places like that. What, like move your big head? Yeah, hey, Mormo. <laughs> I do. Do we have time for a story? Uh, please. Okay. I'm always up for a story. All right. So I have a friend who lives out in Iowa, and this person is a great aficionado of uh, hockey games. The person knows who he is. And he goes at this ho- to this hockey game, and he stand up, and he's shouting, and he's shouting, and the crowd around him starts shouting, hey, cheese butt, sit down. Hey, cheese butt. So he starts shouting it too. <laughs> hey, cheese butt, sit down. And then someone taps my shoulders. They're yelling at you. He had sat in a platter of nachos. <laughs> but he got so caught he up. He got so caught up in it. He didn't know he, he was, was the one. Butt. Exactly. Oh, man. Now, that's frightening. There's your Halloween story. Oh, man. To realize that you are you cheese, are cheese butt. butt. Oh, that is. Oh, man. That's a nightmare. All right. Lamia. Lamia. All right. Moving along. So Lamia uh, shows up more in um, kind of Roman era legends. Uh, sometimes it's there, it doesn't seem to be too much a difference between Mormo and Lamia. Are they two just, uh, two names for the same kind of thing? Um, but Lamia is more of a, a Roman monster, and, and again, a female uh, vampire. But here, it's, it, there's often legends attached to it that she's it's more she lures young men in with her with her with her charms, and then once they're all sucked in, then she you know, sucks the blood. Ooh, yes, right. So um, shows up in a, in a handful of uh, of works. Uh, Apuleius, my mm-hmm. my favorite, mentions yes. her. Philostratus. Uh, Philostratus, where a lot of this kind of stuff comes from. Mm-hmm. And um, I'd like to read a passage from okay. from um, Philostratus is his life of of uh, Apollonius of, of Tyana, who is kind of this wandering mystic prophet. And wherever, Ap- Apollonius of Tyana yes. is the mystic prophet, right? Okay. And everywhere he goes, you know, he encounters strange beings and and peoples, and and he he performs miracles, and just he, wherever he shows up, odd things happen. Hmm. So it's he's kind of a hook that Philostratus uses to kind of tell a number of kind of interesting vignettes, um, if I may. <laughs> so this is uh, from um, Book Four, Chapter Twenty Five of his Life of Apollonius. I'm going to drop us right into the middle of the story. Okay. And so for, as he, he's kind of our, our main character, the he in this vignette. As he was walking all alone uh, the, the road towards Kenkriai, so southern uh, Greece. Yes. He met with an apparition. And it was a woman who clasped his hand and declared that she had been long in love with him. And that she was a Phoenician woman and lived in a suburb of Corinth, of course. Mm-hmm. And she mentioned the name of, a, of the particular suburb and said, 
When you reach the place this evening, you will hear my voice as I sing to you, and you shall have wine such as you never before drank, and there will be no rival to disturb you, and we two beautiful things will live together. Hmm. The youth consented to this, for although he was in general a strenuous philosopher, he was never <laughs> that's, that's comedy. <laughs> he was nevertheless susceptible to the tender passion, and he visited her in the evening, and for the future constantly sought her company as his darling, for he did not yet realize that she was a mere apparition. Hmm. And that's, this is where the wise man comes in. Okay. Then Apollonius looked over uh, Menippus as a sculptor might do, and he sketched an outline of the youth and examined him, and having observed his foibles, he said, you are a fine youth and are hunted by fine women. But in this case, you are cherishing a serpent, and a serpent cherishes you. And when Menippus expressed his surprise, he added, for this lady is of a kind you cannot marry. Why should you? Do you think that she loves you? Indeed I do, said the youth, since she behaves to me as if she loves me. And would you then marry her, said Apollonius? So, if I may, yeah. this is like a uh, platonic dialogue now. <laughs> That's right. Apollonius is going to get to the bottom of this as kind of a love counselor. Yeah, exactly. Right. 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 He, the, 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 this guy can do it all. Okay. All right. He says, would you marry her? Why, yes, for it would be delightful to marry a, a woman who loves you. Thereupon Apollonius asked when the wedding was to be. Perhaps tomorrow, said the other, for it brooks no delay. Rushing into things. Apollonius therefore waited for the occasion of the wedding breakfast, and then, presenting himself before the guests who had just arrived, he said, where is the dainty lady at whose instance you have come? Here she is, replied Menippus. And at the same moment, he rose slightly from his seat, blushing. And to which of you belong the silver and gold and all the rest of the decorations of the banqueting hall? To the lady, replied the youth, for this is all I have of my own, pointing to the philosopher's cloak which he wore. And Apollonius said, Have you heard of the gardens of Tantalus, how they exist and yet do not exist? This is like the worst uh, best man speech of all time. <laughs> this is the toast. <laughs> this is the toast, right. Yes, they answered. In the poems of Homer, or we certainly never went down to Hades. As such, replied Apollonius, you must regard this adornment for it is not reality, but the semblance of reality. And that you may realize the truth of what I say, this fine bride is one of the vampires. That is to say, one of those beings whom the many regard as lamias and hobgoblins. These beings fall in love, and they are devoted to the delights of Aphrodite, but especially to the flesh of human beings. And they decoy with such delights those whom they mean to devour in their feasts. Oh, it's terrible. So he can see through the facade. Because he's a philosopher, Apollonius. Yes. yes. So whatever happened to this poor fellow, Menippus? Um, I believe uh, he... Did he get eaten? He don't, I don't think he's, he gets eaten. Apollonius saves the saves day. Saves him. Saves the day, right. A little philosophy. Yeah, exactly. Is all you need to take care of things. This is what Apollonius does. He goes from town to town, saving the day and, and uh, telling people, uh, setting them on the straight and narrow. Yeah, look out, because this beautiful woman with whom you've been sharing this dalliance yep. actually wants to eat you. She wants to eat you, right. So that I, I take this to be a kind of a fairly t typical version of the Lamia story, mm -hmm. right? So... Geared more towards... Isn't there a song? Pop song? She's a man-eater? Who is that? The Hall and Oates. Is right? that... That's Hall and Oates? Yes. Exactly. She, with the with the sax, the sax line, right? The, um, yeah, she's a man-eater. Yeah, yeah, is that how it goes? So something like that. It's a little, it's a little pitchy. <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. What was that? Circa 1983? Something like that? Man-eater has got to be... Uh, yeah, eight, I'd say 84, 85. Okay. So yeah. this is Lamia. This is what a Lamia is. Right. right? Exactly. She's except, a man-eater. Except a, a literal... I think Hall Notes were using a metaphor. Oh, okay. Although they do refer to it as a jaguar in that, oh. in that song. I was too young, really, to distinguish between metaphor and reality. So. How, how young were you in 1985? A couple years younger than you were All in right, 1985. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, too young to appreciate the nuance of hollow notes? Definitely. Okay. All right. All right. So we've covered uh, Mormo. We've covered Lamia. Who's yes. next? Uh, the dreaded Impusa. The Impusa. Yes. So the Impusa... Um, described as a monstrous specter 
which was believed to devour human beings. It could take on different forms. Um, also, like the like Mormo associated with Hecate. Uh, so Hecate is the triple witch goddess, right? Right, right. Associated with the with the underworld, okay, and, and dark magic. And so uh, she would release the impusa to frighten travelers. And I think it, it it goes along with this idea that you know once you leave the confines of a city and you're out on the highways and the byways, the crossroads, mm-hmm. um, things get dangerous, things get slippery, things get liminal. And so that's where you're going to encounter these in-between uh, beings, these monsters. Mm. Uh, they tend to be more uh, you know, creatures of, the, of, uh, of nature. Did you yeah. ever have to go take the garbage out at night? Oh, it's, oh yeah. It was frightening, right? It was right? terrifying, right. Or uh, like if you're like at summer camp going down to the bathhouse in the middle of the night, <laughs> you're not coming back. <laughs> no. It's a week of no hygiene, let's face it. <laughs> exactly right. If you got to go down there to get clean, it's just not worth it. It's not worth it. So, no, exactly. Or, or no, no, I'm just going to hold it. Right. Yes. <laughs> right. So well, as, a, as a rural dweller, a kind of a rusticus, yes. uh, when I took it the trash out, you know, there was no artificial light. It was all, I wasn't a city boy like you. Right. Um, it was just the light of the stars, and I would carry the trash out to its final resting place and then turn around and race back right. as fast as I could. Exactly. And I didn't even know about Ampusa, but I was sure something was something was out there. Nipping at my boots. That's right. There's something about the the, the dark and the silence that you can convince yourself of, of. But you like that stuff. I do. I'm You'd not, like to be scared. I'm 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 drawn to that 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 kind of stuff. Yeah. I I don't fully understand it myself. You mean why you're drawn to why it? Why to it, right. I know why I'm repelled by it. Why? Because it's scary. Oh, that's why. That's right. <laughs> so you dreaded that chore? The oh, yes. <laughs> I never ran so fast. So your dad said, hey, Dave, take the garbage out. Oh, no. Exactly. Right. This could Broken be... eggshells and coffee grounds. This, and... Could, this could be it. This could be it. <laughs> right. So she, Hackety would send this creature out to frighten travel, I guess just for some, some wicked fun. Mm-hmm. I don't really understand it. Um, and it, it was the, the thing that marks the impusa was it was kind of a composite beast that would constantly change shape. So kind of like a chimera, which is composite. Yes. But a little bit like Proteus right. in uh, the Odyssey. Right. The, the shapeshifter. The old man of the sea, right? Mm-hmm. And who's, who's constantly um, you know, changing his shape to escape from your, your, your clutches. Right. right. But I think with the impusa, part of the, what makes her terrifying is that you can't... You can't uh, pin her down she's mm. and uh, you never know what she's going to be right so uh when it ap- appears i mean there's a way to apparently to deal with the impusa uh all you've got to do is you've got to convincingly insult it and it will s- make a horrible screeching shrill noise and run away from you hmm. it's kind of how you might deal with undergrads yes exactly right right yeah just scream insults at them and, <laughs> yeah they'll they'll run for it that was gratuitous <laughs> All right, so Philostratus, who we just um, read the the bit about the, the Lamia, uh, he mentions the Impusa, mm. and so we got another passage uh, to 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 look at here. Dave, you want to read that? Yeah, let me do that. So I don't know whose translation this is. It's a public domain translation, I assume. I think it's the, the uh, it's the Loeb translation, but I'm forgetting okay. the name. Yeah. Yes. Having passed the Caucasus, our travelers say they saw men four cubits high, and they were already black, and that when they passed over the river Indus, they saw others five cubits high. But on their way to this river, our wayfarers found the following incidents worthy of notice. For they were traveling by bright moonlight when the figure of an impusa, or hobgoblin, appeared to them that changed from one form into another and sometimes vanished into nothing. And Apollonius realized what it was and himself heaped abuse on the hobgoblin and instructed his party to do the same, saying that this was the right remedy for such a visitation. And the phantasm fled away, shrieking, even as ghosts do. So again, Apollonius, he knows exactly what to do in the situation. Yeah, these, right? these ghosts are very thin-skinned, yeah, aren't they? Yeah, especially this one, right? All you got to do is just kind of... Say a few unkind words, words and, and... They can't handle it? That's crazy. It's not very scary. No, it isn't. No. 
So I, I, w- I wish, I wish we had the Greek in front of us. I, w- I really want to know what uh, uh, is translated here as hobgoblin. Yes. Yeah, but when I think of a hobgoblin, I think of kind of like a kind of a greenish, impish mm-hmm. thing with long, big ears and mm-hmm. kind of Cro-Magnon arms. Right. But, so I, but I don't know what's kind of implied here. Once again, the undergraduate. Yeah. <laughs> You're not going to stop, are you? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So, um, but it, it kind of reminds me of that, you know, kind of that um, mock the devil and he will flee from you mm-hmm. kind, of, kind of concept. It, there's a whole kind of uh, body of apotropaic magic. And one of the ways that you... you better define the term apotropaic. Uh, to, to ward off, to turn away. Yes. Right? And so the Greeks and the Romans um, were very super, superstitious peoples, probably the Romans even more so than the Greeks. And and so in the, uh, that superstitious imagination... Every time you cross one of these liminal places, like a threshold or a gate or a crossroads, you are in danger of encountering one of these restless dead that's liminal itself, trapped between worlds. And one of the ways you could, you could um, protect yourself was by laughing. Hmm. And, and so we don't know exactly how this worked, but um, someone posited that you'd walk into a friend's house, you might utter a little fake laugh. As almost like a little magic charm. It's like hmm. you, you. How do you deal with that scary creature? You, you mock it. Huh. You laugh at it, and then you're cleared to enter the house. So the fake laugh, huh? Something like that, maybe. Interesting. Right. Wasn't that how our friendship began? L- lots of fake laughter. You said something you thought was funny, and I. You went. <laughs> gave you kind of a fake laugh. Yeah. And we were off to the races. Exactly. I was certainly apotropaic in that moment. <laughs> it was a big turnoff. But um, so um, the impusa is one of these characters that you can get rid of by, by mocking at. Now, there's a great scene okay. in uh, Aristophanes' Frogs, which we did an episode on. Yes, Brekekekex, Coax. Coax, yes. And in that play, go back and listen to the episode to get the full story. You're telling me? I'm telling the the audience oh, here. Oh, okay. Right. You too. You I can't need, listen to that again. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, Xanthius, the clever slave, yes. um, and the god Dionysus, they're on their way down into the underworld to bring Euripides back from the dead. Right. And all kinds of hijinks and, and a tomfoolery happens. And w- in one of these scenes, Xanthius claims to see the Impusa approaching mm. in the underworld. So, shall I be Xanthius here? You want, you want to be Xanthius? I think that would be better. Okay. Or do you want to be Dionysus? You know, take Xanthius. Dionysus is the divine guy, right? Right, exactly. But he's also the buffoon. In oh, this. is he? Yeah, exactly. I'll take the buffoon role. All right. Yeah. Okay. It's a little bit of typecasting. Uh, of course, Master. Wait, what was that? What? What is it? It's behind us. Well, then get behind me. No, wait. It's up ahead. No, then get in front of me. Holy Hestia, I see it now. Now that's what I call a monstrous beast. What, what is it? What does it look like? Hard to say. It's really weird. It keeps changing shape. It's an ox. No, now it's an ass. Wait, now it's a woman. And what a woman. Yowza. Oh, a woman, you say? Where? You, you know, I should probably say hello. H- hold on. She's not a woman anymore. Now she's a nasty cur. Oh, no, it's the Impusa! Crazy. Now her whole face looks like it's on fire. Does she have a leg made of bronze? Why, yes, she does. Good call, master. The other one seems to be made of uh, cow dung. Now that's odd. Oh, good gods. Where can I escape to? Where can I escape to? My dear holy man, save me from sinking. I'll buy you another whatever you're drinking. Oh, my dear Heracles, we are toast. Don't call me that. Never call me that. Okay, then. Oh, my dear Dionysus. Oh, that's worse than Heracles. Hey, uh, Empusa, beat it. Scram. What's happening? What's going on? Uh, relax, we're good. Like Hegelacus, we can say, the storm hath passed, and we can now set snail. That is, the Impusa has left the building. <laughs> set snail? It's it's a 
a it's pun, a pun. That's the, the kind of the punch of that has been lost. This is us. your translation, it, it isn't is it? I, I smell winkle on this. You do. I'm very proud of this translation. It's good. Yeah, thank you. But what is the pun of the snail? I mean, we can go slowly. Can... I, I don't. You know, it's been so long. I don't remember. I was trying. How do you translate? A pun from one language into another. It's a challenge. It's a, it's a very it's a challenge, right? But I remember the footnote of the edition I was using saying that we don't really know, you know, why this would have been funny right. to an audience. So I did the best I could. That's pretty good, right? So okay, the idea is that there was no impusa here. Xanthius is just yanking his master's making chain. the whole thing up, right? But it's it's uh, probably the most extended um, passage in which the impusa makes an appearance. Hmm. So. Right, so there we there we have it. We okay. have we have our, our kind of our three. We got big our monster. mormo. We got our we got our mormo. We got our lamia, and, and we got the our impusa. And the impusa. Did you ever consider dressing up like one of these for Halloween? I don't know how that would go over in the neighborhood. Really? I mean, leg of bronze and cow dung—that'd be hard to <laughs> hard to pull off, though. Yeah. Uh, one of my children uh, asked me a few weeks ago what I dressed up as for the uh, Halloween season. Yeah. And I went as a mime once. Okay. Yep. I went as a Groucho Marx once. Oh, that's excellent. You had yeah, the big I, grease paint mustache. I, and... Something like that. I borrowed someone's lab coat and I made a little uh, um, headband, kind of a doctor. You know, when, when uh, Groucho's dressed up like a, a doctor. Yes, of course. Right. I used an orange juice can for lid for the uh, you know the, the reflective thing Perfect. the doctor puts on his head. And yeah. I had a real cigar. Yeah, yeah. That and I did, got from Mackinac Island. And you do kind of that, that, that hunched I, over walk? I as you did. Yeah. And this real cigar was, you know, a foot long because it was a comic cigar. Yeah. This was back in the day when I actually took this real cigar to public school. <laughs> and I carried it around and kept it in my mouth all day. So, really? Yeah. And it was not an issue? It but, became an issue <laughs> to my head later in the afternoon. <laughs> but it wasn't an issue for the authorities yeah, because yeah. I, I didn't really know what I was doing and they didn't know what I was doing either. Yeah. So. Oh, that's great. Now, I, we share an affinity for the Marx Brothers. Mm -hmm. and, and so it goes, your your love of them goes goes back. Way back. Way back, yeah. yeah. And you dressed up as... Oh, my, I, I was thinking about this in the drive Margaret Dumond. Oh. <laughs> now, there's a deep reference. That, she's in the Marx Brothers. Yeah, exactly right. She was the comic <laughs> foil, yes. right? Um, no, I was thinking on the wheel and how disappointing... Kind of the history of my my my, my uh, Halloween costuming. They were. I, mean, I had friends that we, we'd go out as a group. Right. My friends were were also clever and they, elaborate. Right. And I just like oh, I'll, I'll pick up plastic Yoda head. Oh, it's never That's too a, late, Wink. I know. I suppose. I suppose. Right. My my boys are are really into it. They're really clever about coming up with their own right. costumes. And what, what's the cleverest so, costume that one of them has come up um, with? My oldest son, a couple of years ago. He turned himself into a cyborg. Wow. And he got all of these electronics to kind of put over his face and his eye. Yeah. It, it was great. Did he ever uh, turn back into a human being? Or? Eventually he okay. did. He eventually did. But he, man, he, he played that role well. Believable. Very believable. That's great. Yep. So my children are doing what I was never able to do. I was, yeah. I was, I was too lazy about mm, it. Yeah. yeah. One of my most painful Halloween memories... Because this show is not about my ignorance of pop culture. No. It's about painful childhood memories. It's, that's exactly right, yeah. I dressed up as a robot and uh, went to some childhood party where I was uh, mistaken for um, different kitchen appliances. <laughs> <laughs> so oh. what, are you a dishwasher? Oh. No, no, I'm a robot. Are right. you an oven? You're going to bake me a pizza? Yeah, no, 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 I'm, I'm a, a robot. robot. Right. Oh, it, was, it was painful. It's constant riffing on that. Painful. You know, I've always hated the Halloween party. Oh, it's the worst. It's the worst. So you come in, it's like, oh, that's clever. And then, oh. Right. Now you're, it, the, it's kind of this huge, like, let, fun thing. And then it's like, it's oh. It's a letdown. And you're lampooned the and, rest of the time. And now i got to be this for the next two hours, right? <laughs> right. Whereas, you know, trick-or-treating, you know, every door is a new stage. That's a good point. Yeah. 
always hated the Halloween party. Hmm. Yeah. So when we have the uh, ad nauseum Halloween party, we're just going to trick or treat. Yes, exactly. We're not. We're not having some. It's candy. all candy corn. All candy corn, circus peanuts. Right. Those are the worst ones. <laughs> well, I think it's about time to pay the bills, isn't it, Jeff? Yes, it is. All right. So let's do the ads. All right. This episode of Odd Nauseam brought to you by Hackett Publishing. For the last 40 plus years, Hackett Publishing, based in Indianapolis and Cambridge, have been bringing to the wider public affordable, attractive, erudite editions, translations of not just classical works, but uh, from works from all corners of the humanities. Uh, Dave, you got some favorites, I know. Yes, I like very much their philosophical offerings. Uh, I'm looking at the webpage right now. They have the Plato Reader by uh, C.D.C. Reeve, edited by C.D.C. Reeve. I'm a great fan of Reeve. His edition of The Republic I reviewed once hmm. for uh, a publication. And uh, this Plato Reader, Eight Essential Dialogues, uh, edited by Reeve, put together with uh, some translations of Reeve, Grub, Nehemas, and Paul Woodruff. It looks like an excellent volume. Oh, very, very cool. Yeah, I just rediscovered on my own shelves... Um, their wonderful anthology of classical myth. I know we got some some mythies out there. Absolutely. So if uh, if you're interested in uh, kind of a near comprehensive collection of uh, Greek mythology in uh, translations of, of of primary texts, it's the go to text. It, Definitely. It's, a, it's affordable. It's attractive. The front of it looks like a, a red figure vase. Right. Um, it's beautiful. I have some other good things to say about Hackett. No, please. So I am very enamored of the Lingua Latina Per Se Illustrata. Yes. I think I'm teaching, what, one, two, three, four, I don't know, four or five different classes this semester, all using Lingua Latina. Idiomatic, colorful, good storyline. And uh, they're the publisher, and uh, they support it very, very vigorously. Excellent. So, listeners, if you want to take advantage um, of all that Hackett has to offer, uh, go to hackettpublishing.com, H-A-C-K. ETTpublishing.com. Find what you want. Stick it in the little grocery thing. Type in the, the coupon code box AN2021. And Dave, if they do that, what do they get? They're going to get 20% off, which if I'm not mistaken is one-fifth. One-fifth. And free shipping. Free shipping, both of those. And they're going to get the satisfaction of knowing that they are doing something about the promotion of the classics. Indeed. That is, they are helping support this podcast, which brings you some kind of weekly drivel, about an hour worth of something. <laughs> and you want to support that? You can get yourself some good texts and help out the cause of the classics. So check it out. This episode is also brought to you by Racial Coffee of Portland, Oregon. Mark Helwig and his crack team have solved all of the problems that you might have previously had about coffee making, and ugly appliances. Oh, I know I, myself and many friends have had lots of problems. With it, ugly appliances? Ugly appliances and, and coffee in general. Yes. Right. And you're saying Mark Helwig and his team have solved these they things. They have solved it. Yeah. So if you come home after a long day of work or you wake up in the morning after a long night of sleeping yes. and you stumble down to you know the coffee machine, what kind of appliance do you want to greet you? Well, I want something beautiful. I want something attractive. I want something alluring. You don't want something that's made out of squirty plastic and no. costs $19.99? No, and who, who would want this? Is no better than the packaging it came in? Right. When I was a grad student, maybe that was my only option. But, right. But, uh, but now the, uh, the Ratio 6, the machine I have, is the right. one that greets me every morning. I yes. Have a stainless steel model. It's a work of art sitting there. And I know when I hit that button, good things are coming. Yes, you're going to go through the bloom stage. Yes. A little bit of really hot water comes down into the cone and lets all of the CO2 gas off. Yes. Yes. Lots of off gassing. Yes. Right. And then you have the brew stage. The brew stage is second. Yes. Yes. And the hot water sits in the grounds there and drips down through the cone into your carafe. Mm -hmm. 
And then we have ready. The ready stage. That's all that's, there is to it. The magic happens. Yep. In my machine, the, the blinks, the lights blink three times, mm-hmm. and you're good to go. Yeah. And I've got the Ratio Eight, which mm-hmm. is a, a little bit larger model. I'd yeah. like to say. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's in oyster, a variety of colors with uh, walnut accents. These are hand assembled. They've got borosilicate hand blown glass for the carafe. Incredible machines. Yeah, and so uh, our listeners, you can take advantage of our offer here for both the Ratio Six and the Eight. That's right. Now. And if you enter the coupon code ANCO, that's right, which stands for Ad Nauseum Coffee. Coffee. Uh, when you go to ratiocoffee.com, that's right. Uh, you uh, type that in and you get, I believe, 15% off. 15% off the six or the eight. Or the eight. Mark himself, a great devotee of the classics. Yes. He definitely committed to uh, sharing the classics and the kind of joy and pleasure that this literature and this history can bring to a broad audience, generously supporting the podcast. And uh, we want to encourage you, listener, to get yourself a good coffee maker and support ad nauseum. Go to ratiocoffee.com today. And lastly, this episode is brought to you by the Moss Method. Dave, tell us a little bit about the Moss Method. Yes, the Moss Method for Greek is a program that I have developed whereby I can help you go from an absolute beginner, a neophyte, to an erudite individual, a person who knows a lot of Greek. And it's not going to take very long. How can that be? Of course, it's going to take a long time. No, no, no. It does take time to learn language. There yeah. are no shortcuts. Right. People are always asking me, what book do you recommend? How do I learn this? And I say, look, it doesn't really matter what the book is. What matters is your disposition and your commitment. Mm. If you want to learn Greek, you want to learn Latin, you can do it. However, it helps a lot if you have a trusted guide, a centaur-like character, that's me, yeah. in your life who's going to lead you through the thickets of Greek, so you can actually learn the language. And the Moss Method offers exactly this. Exactly. Okay. Yes. So there are four modules, one, two, three, and four. Each is 40 lessons. The last one's a little bit longer. And the lessons are based on stories, where you read a story, and I guide you through the grammar, the syntax, the lexemes, the semantics. It's a full system. But even though I'm testing you on the the forms and you're learning terms and all this, it's not tedious. It's not dull. Would you say it's fun? It's fun because you're reading great stories like the pedant learns about a letter, the fox and the hungry bear. You know, things from Aesop, things from Plato, uh, things from Lucian, and a, a variety, Herodotus, a variety of authors. So it's very, very engaging. That sounds great. So how, how would our listeners take advantage of this? Well, they need to go to mossmethod.com, M-O-S-S method.com. Look through the promotional materials, the free videos, the free instruction. I give away a lot of stuff. Check it out. See if it's for you. It's designed for, say, homeschoolers, you know, middle school, uh, high school kids. I got a number of kids studying it. It's designed for parents who maybe want to teach their children. If you're headed into seminary or grad school, this is going to give you an absolutely solid footing in Greek. You're going to be well prepared. Sounds great. Mossmethod.com. Check it out. Okay, Jeff, now as we get back into it, mm-hmm. we have two ancient ghost stories. Right. Ooh. Very, very spooky. Okay, let's right. start out with number one. Number one. So uh, we're going to have a little story time here. All right. So, I mean, so the, this first one comes from... Let me get my s'mores. Uh, you, got, uh, you got the s'mores, exactly right. We're on the campfire, flashlight under the chin. Mm-hmm. Uh, let, let's do it. Take my shoes off. Shoes, really? Don't you take your shoes off around a campfire? Kind of to, to warm your, your toes? Your toes, right. Okay, I usually keep my shoes on. Okay. But, okay. This one comes from um, Pliny the Younger. Or is, it, is it Pliny? If you ask Dennis Miller... It's Pliny. It's Pliny, Pliny. the Younger. 
I think Dennis Miller is a very funny man. Yes. And uh, I like most of his material. But um, when he wants to, you know, parody the intelligent person, you mm-hmm. know, we're not talking about some egghead. He always uses Pliny the Elder. <laughs> <laughs> but he mispronounces it. Maybe it's on purpose. Hey, the very fact that we have a, there's a, a mainstream comedian out there Who referencing knows? Pliny the Elder. Yeah. Right. This is uh It's worth something. It's worth something, right. So this is a letter not of Pliny or Pliny the Elder. This is Pliny the Younger. And um who who, had, who left behind a number of these letters which give a, a really wonderful window into everyday life um for many facets. His um one day I would love to do an episode on his uh, uh letter about um the eruption of Vesuvius cuz yes. this eyewitness account, right? Oh, also the the exchange between him and Trajan oh, yes. on the persecution of the Christians yes. is fascinating. Fascinating. Yes. Fills in lots of gaps in terms of our our knowledge of on the ground history from that era. So this is a letter uh, that he writes uh and talks about this parent haunted house in Athens. You, shall we you want to go back and forth with this one? Can we go paragraph to, by paragraph? Yeah, that sounds good. Okay. And what um, what translation are we using here? Yeah, so this is the Loeb edition in the public domain from uh, 1914. Okay. And I think the translator is William Melmoth. Melmoth? Melmoth. Right. Sounds like a bit of a mormo. <laughs> a bit of a mormo, right? <laughs> no, I'm sure Melmoth, uh, may he rest in peace. I'm sure he was a delightful person. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, aren't most classicists. Exactly. And right. uh, he can turn a phrase, as we're going to hear in just a moment. Absolutely. So um, I'll start this off here. Go for it. All right. So Pliny writes, the present recess from business we are now enjoying affords you, you leisure to give and me to receive instruction. I am extremely desirous, therefore, to know whether you believe in the existence of ghosts and that they have a real form and are a set of, sort of divinities or only the visionary impressions of a terrified imagination. What particularly inclines me to believe in their existence is a story which I heard of Curtius Rufus. When he was in low circumstances and unknown in the world, he attended the governor of Africa into that province one evening as he was walking in the public portico there appeared to him the figure of a woman of unusual size and of beauty more than human and as he stood there terrified and astonished she told him she was the tutelary power that presided over africa and was come to inform him of the future events of his life that he should go back to rome to enjoy high honors there and return to that province invested with the proconsular dignity and there should die Every circumstance of this prediction actually came to pass. It is said farther that upon his arrival at Carthage, as he was coming out of the ship, the same figure met him upon the shore. It is certain, at least, that being seized with a fit of illness, though there were no symptoms in his case that led those about him to despair, he instantly gave up all hope of recovery, judging, apparently, of the truth of the future part of the prediction by what had already been fulfilled, and of the approaching misfortune from his former prosperity." Now the following story, which I am going to tell you just as I heard it, is it not more terrible than the former, while quite as wonderful? So it's kind of a ghost of Christmas future. Yes. Uh, right. Uh, that's uh, Like those many terrible memes that get passed around among Latin teachers. Uh, uh, Have like, you seen that? The ghost know. of future perfect past indicative. Oh, I, yes, I have seen those. <laughs> it was funny the first time, but come on, people, we've all seen it. That's right. Let it go. All right, continuing on. So uh, uh, plenty. There was at Athens a large and roomy house, which had a bad name, so that no one could live there. In the dead of night, a noise resembling the clashing of iron was frequently heard, which, if you listened more attentively, sounded like the rattling of chains, distant at first, but approaching nearer by degrees. Immediately afterwards, a specter appeared in the form of an old man, of extremely emaciated and squalid appearance, with a long beard and disheveled hair rattling the chains on his feet and hands. The distressed occupants, meanwhile, passed their wakeful nights under the most dreadful terrors imaginable. This, as it broke their rest, ruined their health, 
and brought on distempers. Their terror grew upon them, and death ensued. Even in the daytime, though the spirit did not appear, yet the impression remained so strong upon their imaginations that it still seemed before their eyes, and kept them in perpetual alarm. Consequently, the house was at length deserted, as being deemed absolutely uninhabitable, so that it was now entirely abandoned to the ghost. However, in hopes that some tenant might be found who was ignorant of this very alarming circumstance, a bill was put up, giving notice that it was either to be let or sold. It happened that Athenodorus, the philosopher, came to Athens at this time, and reading the bill, inquired the price. Hmm. So the house is haunted. Mm -hmm. The ghost drives everybody out. Then there's a bill put up giving notice to be let. You can you can rent the place. Right. Maybe like one of the places I lived, you know, between undergrad and uh, getting married and right. living like a human being. Uh, and you could actually purchase it. Yeah. So Athenodorus comes, yes. right? And yep. what's going to happen? So may I? Please. Okay. Yeah, take it away. You're not frightened, are you? No, no. I was just I was thinking that this is very much like the setup to the Amityville Horror. Familiar with the Amityville Horror? No. Okay, never mind. Let's just, <laughs> let's just go on. The extraordinary cheapness raised his suspicion. Hmm, you can't sneak anything by Athenodorus. <laughs> Nevertheless, when he heard the whole story, he was so far from being discouraged that he was more strongly inclined to hire it, and in short, actually did so. When it grew towards evening, he ordered a couch to be prepared for him in the front part of the house, and after calling for a light, together with his pencil and tablets, directed all his people to retire. But that his mind might not, for want of employment, be open to the vain terrors of imaginary noises and spirits, he applied himself to writing with the utmost attention. Isn't that exactly what a philosopher would do? Right. Exactly right. I especially demand that a couch be prepared for him. Yes. Right. <laughs> so I can lie down here and write and, and write. be afraid of the ghosts. In the wee hours. The first part of the night passed in entire silence as usual. At length, the clanking of iron and rattling of chains was heard. However, he neither lifted up his eyes nor laid down his pen. Of course not. But in order to keep calm and collected, tried to pass the sounds off to himself as something else. Just a plumbing. Right. right. <laughs> the noise increased and advanced nearer till it seemed at the door and at last in the chamber. He looked up, saw, and recognized the ghost exactly as it had been described to him. It stood before him, beckoning with the finger like a person who calls another. Athenodorus, in reply, made a sign with his hand that it should wait a little. He's, he's going to put the ghost so, off? Yeah, guys, hold up a second. Let yes. me get to the end of the sentence. <laughs> That's right. I love this guy. And threw his eyes again upon his papers. Wow, this guy's dedicated. The ghost then rattled his chains over the head of the philosopher, who looked up upon this, and seeing it beckoning as before, immediately arose and, light in hand, followed it. The ghost slowly stalked along, as if encumbered with its chained chains, and turning into the area of the house, suddenly vanished. Athenodorus, being thus deserted, made a mark with some grass and leaves upon the spot where the spirit had left him. It's kind of odd. Did he yeah. just have those on him? Can I interrupt you for a moment? Yeah. Uh, it says turned into the area of the house. Uh, the common Latin word for the lawn or the yard is yeah. areodomus. Oh, okay. So I'm guessing Melmoth here kind of left the word untranslated. So he's, he's in the garden? Maybe? No, yes, walked out into the front yard of okay. the house. And right. that's where the leaves and the grass oh. come up. But that's obscured a little bit by what I would say is a slightly clumsy translation is here. That, guys, that, he's such a mormal. <laughs> come on. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so he made a mark with some grass and leaves on the spot where the spirit had left him. The next day, he gave information to the magistrates and advised them to order that spot be dug up. Oh. This was accordingly done, and the skeleton of a man in chains was found there. Mm. For the body, having lain a considerable time in the ground, was putrefied and moldered away from the, the fetters. The bones being collected together were publicly buried 
and thus after the ghost was appeased by the proper ceremonies, the house was haunted no more. This is every haunted house story you've ever heard. Right. It's like uh, poltergeist, the house is, uh, oh, it was buried on an ancient uh, Indian burial ground, mm. and they're upset about it. So this idea of the of the guy or the, the people didn't get proper burial or you've defiled their, their burial, that stirs them up and they become the restless dead. So what does that suggest to you? Well, I mean, that the kind of the... That it's true? No, I was going to say that so often these kinds of stories in the Western tradition, the, the origin of kind of horror is often, uh, oh, it's, it's Mary Shelley, it's Poe, right? It's the Gothic horror of the early 19th century. Um, but this, here's plenty, hundreds of years before this, telling those very same kinds of stories. This mm-hmm. is kind of, I think this is an archetype that you find around the world. But what explains it? Um, like whether it's true or not? Yes, what, ex- what explains it? What, what, where does that archetype come from? Yes. Uh, I, I don't know. What would Campbell say? Campbell would, Campbell, what would the, Campbell say? The Jung and the Restless. Cam, Campbell would say, we probably relying on, on Jung, would say that this is um, a phantasm of our, our dreams. This is our, our, But it all happens to be the same. Well, it's the collective subconsciousness. Kind of, yeah, it, the, the story plays out along similar lines. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Epicurus would say, these are the atoms of the individual that are still f- uh, kind of floating around and swerving. Yes, they yeah. haven't been completely put to rest. The gossamer atoms. There you go. Yeah, exactly right. So, um, shall I continue? Yeah, here, please. Or are you going to make another point? No, 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 no. Okay, to carry on. This story, I believe, upon the credit of others. What I am going to mention, I give you upon my own. I have a freedman named Marcus who is by no means illiterate. One night, as he and his younger brother were lying together. He fancied he saw somebody upon his bed, who took out a pair of scissors and cut off the hair from the top part of his own head, and in the morning it appeared his hair was actually cut and the clippings lay scattered about the floor. Hmm. A short time after this, an event of a similar nature contributed to give credit to the former story. A young lad of my family was sleeping in his apartment with the rest of his companions, when two persons clad in white came in, as he says, through the windows, cut off his hair as he lay, and then returned the same way they entered. The next morning it was found that this boy had been served just as the other, and there was the hair again spread about the room. This is the ghost barber. This is the ghost barber. What's he doing? <laughs> no, It's bizarre. Nothing remarkable indeed followed these events, unless perhaps that I escaped a prosecution in which, if Domitian, during whose reign this happened, had lived some time longer, I should certainly have been involved. Ah, mm. So the way to get out of a tight political lawsuit is ghost barbering. Ghost barbering. Very strange. Who would have guessed? No, uh, not me. For after the death of that emperor, articles of impeachment against me were found in his scrutora, which had been exhibited by Cara. Scrutora, like his writing desk? I think that's what it is. Something like that, yeah. Scrinium is the term I'm more familiar with. Scrinium, yeah. But it works. This is kind of Italianate, yeah. As you were reading this, there's, like in Apuleius and Petronius, there are stories about people getting their hair cut and the hair is being used... Uh, if you get like you know, if you can get a piece of something, it's a talisman. It's a talisman, right? You can, if your hair or fingernail, that if you have a piece of somebody's body, you can do something with it. You can it. do something with it. But here, they're just they're cutting hair and just scattering on the and floor. leaving it. <laughs> That's right. It's a mess. It's a drive-by barbering. <laughs> it's very bizarre. All right, we got one one last paragraph here. It may therefore be conjectured, since it is customary for persons under any public accusation to let their hair grow. It is. This cutting off of the hair of my servants was a sign I should escape the imminent danger that threatened me. Let me desire you then to give this question your mature consideration. The subject deserves your examination, as I trust. I am not myself altogether unworthy of participation in the abundance of your superior knowledge. He's kind of buttering up then, isn't he? This, like is, this, this is kind of boilerplate. Standard though, right? Pliny. Right. 
And though you would, as usual, balance between uh, two opinions, yet I hope you will lean more to one side than the other, lest, whilst I consult you in order to have my doubt settled, you should dismiss me in the same suspense and indecision that occasioned you in the present application. Farewell. Farewell. Right. So Pliny's a, a believer. He's a believer, right. In the, the ghost. And the ghost barbering, the gods or someone, I don't know, is telling him, you're going to not have this difficult uh, public trial because people tend to grow their hair when they're facing prosecution. And uh, kind of like the uh, the Unabomber, right? Yeah. Kaczynski? Yes. Yeah. He's let himself go. Right. I think the general idea is that when people are under tremendous stress... You're, you, you don't take care of your appearance. You don't take care of your appearance. Maybe you have good hygiene, but when you're under a lot of stress, you generally aren't concerned about how you appear to others. So you think that's what's behind the kind of the growing out the hair? And cause Correct. Because you're, you're under stress. The last thing you want to think about is going to the salon. Correct. Yeah. And okay. you may be, you know, in the dock, right? And about to go into court. You don't have time to trim your nails and do all that kind of stuff. Gotcha. So plenty, maybe the Unabomber is a bad example. <laughs> I don't know. But uh, in any event. Yeah. Pliny believes it. He believes it, right? I don't think uh, that um, Sura, who he wrote this letter to, I don't think his his response survives. No, it's too bad. Right. So now we go on to the second ghost story. Yes. And this comes from Phlegon of Tralles. Yes, everyone's favorite. And who uh, preserved this for us? Who preserved this for us? Is is it a fragment? I'm not familiar with Phlegon. Usually dated to the second century. Okay. Minor author. Yes, a fragmentary. Okay. Uh, Seems kind of in that that, uh, kind of the Lucian mold. Right. Right. And so who's the translator? Uh, this is, comes from Hansen. All right. He's done lots of, uh, he translated Apuleius and, and has done lots of Loeb translations. Excellent. Yep. So in this story, it centers around a, a dead uh, girl that uh, comes back to life or appears again hmm. and, kinda, and, um, and then disappears and comes back and, and shows up again and again to um, kind of our main character in the story, which is um, a guy named uh, Makates. Mm-hmm. And uh, he he sees this dead girl appear and runs to her parents and say, listen, look who I, listen to who I saw. And then uh, she disappears and he's having a hard time, you know, believing what he's seeing and trying to get to the bottom of this mystery. Okay. Yep. So um, we'll pick up the story kind of halfway through then. You're going to start? I'll start it out. Yeah. Night came on, and now it was the hour when Philinian, that's the name of the, of, the, of the dead girl, was accustomed to come to him. The household kept watch, wanting to know of her arrival. She entered at the usual time and sat down on the bed. Makates pretended that nothing was wrong, since he wished to investigate the whole incredible matter to find out if the girl he was consorting with, who took care to come to him at the same hour, was actually dead. As she ate and drank with him, he simply could not believe what the others had told him, as he supposed that some grave robbers had dug into the tomb and sold the clothes and gold to her father. But in his wish to learn exactly what was the case, he secretly went to send his slaves to summon uh, her parents, Demestratos and Carito. They came quickly. When they first saw her, they were speechless and panic-stricken by the amazing sight. But after that, they cried aloud and embraced their daughter. Then Philinian said to them, Mother and father, how unfairly you have grudged my being with a guest for three days in my father's house, since I have caused no one any pain. For this reason, on account of your meddling, you shall grieve all over again, and I shall return to the place appointed for me, for it was not without divine will that I came here. Immediately upon speaking these words, she was dead, and her body lay stretched visibly on the bed. Her father and mother threw themselves upon her, and there was much confusion and wailing in the house because of the calamity. The misfortune was unbearable, and the sight incredible. The event was quickly heard through the city, and was reported to me. Accordingly, during the night, I kept in check the crowds that gathered at the house. Since, with news like this going from mouth to mouth, I wanted to make sure there would be no trouble. By early dawn, the town assembly was full. After the particulars had been explained, it was decided that we should first go to the tomb, open it, and see whether the body lay on its bier, or whether we would find the place empty. 
A half year had not yet passed since the death of the girl. When we opened the chamber into which all the deceased members of the family were placed, we saw bodies lying on beers, or bones, in the case of those who had died long ago. But on the bier onto which Felinian had been placed, we found only the iron ring that belonged to the guest and the gilded wine cup, objects that she had obtained from Makati's on the first day. Oh, that's eerie. Very eerie. Astonished and frightened, we proceeded immediately to Demostratus's house to see if the corpse was truly to be seen in the guest room. After we saw the dead girl lying there on the ground, we gathered at the place of assembly, since the events were serious and incredible. There was considerable confusion in the assembly, and almost no one was able to form a judgment on the events. The first to stand up was Hillis, who is considered to be not only the best seer among us, but also a fine auger. An auger, Dr. Winkle? An auger, yeah, someone who reads the, the dancing chicken signs. Okay. Right? In general, he has shown remarkable perception in his craft. He said we should burn the girl outside the boundaries of the city, since nothing would be gained by burying her in the ground within its boundaries, and perform an apotropaic sacrifice to Hermes Chthonios of the underworld and to the Eumenides. Now, is this kind of standard advice? Uh, that's standard. Burn, and, burn and sacrifice? That's a standard auger's advice. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, again, the, you have to do the proper ritual so that she can pass over and she won't be stuck anymore. I see. Yep. Then he prescribed that everyone purify himself completely, cleanse the temples, and perform all the customary rites to the Chthonian gods, that is, those of the underworld. He spoke to me also in private about the king and the events, telling me to sacrifice to Hermes, Zeusenios, and Ares, and to perform these rites with care. When he had made this known to us, we, under, we undertook to do what he had prescribed. Makatis, the guest whom the ghost had visited, became despondent and killed himself. Yikes. So if you decide to write about this to the king, send word to me also in order that I may dispatch to you one of the persons who examined the affair in detail. Farewell. Hmm. So what do we make of this story? I don't know. I mean, it's it has in some way, until the, you know, the suicide at the end, it seems like problem solution. Right. right? Pretty standard fare. Right. This ghost is haunting, so forth. Uh, the ghost is upset that the parents wouldn't allow her to spend time with the guy she likes. Yes. Uh, and so the body's not there. I'm just trying to summarize the right. story here. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the body's not there. So they call in the seer. What do we do? Find the body, the corpse, take it out, um, you know, ritually burn it, make some sacrifices, problem solved. Right, right. And this, again, this is a standard trope in lots of, of kind of haunted house horror movies, the, kind of the, the, ghost, the ghost who can't cross over. The, mm -hmm. the ghost is angry because he or she can't cross over. I, I'm more like the guy that can't do crosswords. Oh, really? Yes. Yeah, that's its own, that's its own <laughs> problem, right? <laughs> so, and this one, this in Flagon, whatever his name is, yeah. um, his, his version, there are religious rites and rituals to take care of this very problem. So right? why did Makati take his own life here? I, I don't know. I guess he was so so disturbed by yeah. these events so enamored of this ghost who visited him and right. she's going to be gone now if she crosses over and yeah she's filled with sorrow i suppose and he can't uh, he wants to join her there in the in the mm. in the underworld hmm. maybe something like that yeah so we've had mormo mormo La Mea, mm -hmm. empusa and two ghost stories two go and, by no, and by no means the only ghost stories no there are more if you look in Petronius, uh, the Roman texts are, are particularly fill, filled with them. Petronius, uh, Lucan, Apuleius has lots of these very hmm. similar kinds of stories, right? Yeah, there's a great, I think we mentioned it last time or a couple times ago. We have the uh, the Lucan account where Erichtho yeah. uh, brings someone back to life on the battlefield. It's a reverse catabasis. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, creepy stuff. Very yeah. creepy. So yeah, witches, magic, um, the, the dead rising. Um, 
yeah, there's lots of that kind of stuff. And you, and you see that these these horror stories have a long, mm. long history. Yeah. So are we going to get back to caramel apples and candy corn and mold cider and maybe some popcorn balls? I don't see how we can. Mini Snickers bars. Those oh, are probably my favorite. Wait a minute. Yeah, exactly. Or the, or the, or the, did you, know, you get to go to the house, you know, the one house where they were giving the full-size Snickers out? Oh, yeah. And then word <laughs> circulates. Like, he, oh, you know. That's empty. Yeah. <laughs> but imagine taking something as good as a candy bar and yeah. shrinking it down. I know. Right? And filling your pockets with them. That's yeah, pretty good. I know. But just one fun? That's not fun. No. No, the, the full-size. That's fun. The best part is going through your kids' candy. Oh, yeah. And taking the good stuff. Right. Exactly. Yeah. The next morning, I have no idea what happened. Right. <laughs> Dad, I'm stuck with all Tootsie Rolls. I know I came in with a full-size Almond Joy. Yeah. Oh. And I substituted it with what? An Almond Grief? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So. All right. all right. Well, I think that's on that, on that happier note. I was trying to just bring a little light oh, yeah, here, so some that, candy. On a happier note. Chocolate-coated nougat ending. Yeah. But we got to get out of here. We do. Yeah. We got to go get on our uh, Halloween costume outfits. That's right. What you going as this year? I think I'm going to go as a discolos. A discolos. Yeah, kind of grumpy guy. Yeah, yeah, I know what I'm going as. What are you going the as? The most frightening character imaginable oh, to man. Oh, no. What is that? The Latin teacher. That's terrifying. Yes. Yes. Make sure all the children are in bed before you. Yeah, absolutely. Bed. Goodness. Just goodness. parsing everywhere. <laughs> Well, we got to thank some people. Yes, we do. We got to thank uh, Scott Minzen and Ken Tamplin, our yes. fabulous musicians. Yep. Scott's who, coming out with his. I interrupted. Go no, ahead. go ahead. He's got a new album coming a new out. New album is called. Yep. Well, the old album is called No Words. Mm-hmm. I gave the wrong title last week. Oh, no. Ooh, sorry, Scott. All right. Called No Words. Great, blistering, beautiful instrumental stuff. A little acoustic mixed in with blues. Kind of a cross between uh, Eddie Van Halen and Stevie Ray Vaughan. The new one is called Trouble. And uh, got some good tracks on there. Excellent. And if you want to learn how to sing, check out Ken Tamplin's Vocal Academy. Yes, it's incredible. Uh, We want to thank our um, spooky audio engineer, Mishka. Yes. She does such great work for us every week. Uh, Can't thank her enough. I can't wait to see where she inserted the... scary music into this episode there's lots of opportunity oh. there. Just layer the whole thing yeah. yeah so we've gotten some great suggestions from listeners lately yes some, some episode suggestions if you want to get a shout out you want to have your name mentioned we'd love to hear it uh, hear from you send an email to jeff at ad nauseum.com don't forget the v or dave at ad nauseum.com with comments suggestions screeds criticisms let's hear from you yep keep them coming in we'd love to hear it so next week uh, what are we doing next week? Next week, we're going to have some more Ovidian vignettes. Excellent. I yes. was hoping you were going to say couple that. A couple more. We're going to cover a couple more. And Hackett Publishing, as mentioned, has graciously given us some free copies of some of their translations that we're going to give away. Oh, so yeah. So check social media. And uh, I think probably what you'll have to do is uh, pass along or tag some people, and your name will be randomly selected. Because we're going to be covering a lot of Ovid, right? Yep. In the next months, a little vignette or two at a time. Right. You can read along in the Metamorphoses as we go through these stories. Excellent. Very exciting. And Jeff, you get the gustatory parting shot to take us out. I do. This comes from the great and unfortunately late Mitch Hedberg. And I'm going to do my best Mitch here. I ordered a club sandwich, but I'm not even a member. I like my sandwiches with three pieces of bread. Well, so do I. Then let's form a club. <laughs> That's great. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Thanks.